Eighteen and a half years later, it was the first week in August 2001, we came here and we began on Wednesday night studying the Psalms. Only took eighteen and a half years. What's your problem? Come on now. And uh, we have, well, you know, let's be honest, there have been... There have been times we're away. There have been times where we've done other studies. We did a study on uh, the armor of God in, in um, Ephesians chapter 6. We've done other studies, for Peter, where we're to add to our faith, virtue, and knowledge. We've done a number of studies like that. But we've always come back to the Psalms, and today we embark on Psalm 150. And... Uh, I don't know if you're excited about that. I am. And so I get to start since it's been so long and just start right over again. No, I don't don't know what we're going to do after after this, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see what happens this evening and see if we get done. Six verses. What could possibly be said about six verses? What could possibly... Brother Deals, that was that was too loud. I, I don't I don't mind laughter, you know, but that was just too loud there. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, let me tell you about Mount Washington. You say Washington, I'll tell you the reason why in a couple minutes. But Mount Washington in New Hampshire um, or reaches 6,288 feet above sea level. It is the highest place in New Hampshire, and uh, God gave me the opportunity to climb it uh, along with a few friends during my teen years. There's something breathtaking about uh, backpacking, hiking uh, for three or four days on a trip, going up climbing up a mountain, successfully coming to the precipice of the mountain, arriving at the desired destination and taking in the amazing beauty. It always is uh, rewarding, always rewarding. Unfortunately, the victory is tainted on Mount Washington. And you say, well, why? Well, there's a couple reasons why. First of all, because the peak has a building in front of it. Uh, as well, another reason why it kind of takes away from the thing is because you climb up this mountain, you get above uh, tree level, and, and you, you're going through this long hike. I mean, it's sweaty, it's hot, 50, 60-pound pack on your back. You get to the top, and there's people wearing T-shirts proclaiming they climbed Mount Washington, even though they got there by no effort of their own because there's a road going all the way up. One of the few mountains, one of the few mountain peaks, one of the few mountains that high where there is actually a, a road that goes all the way up. So these people go into the store, buy T-shirts that say, I climbed Mount Washington, and then you know, they're all sitting there laughing while you're coming to the top, and it's like you're ready for to look out and see this beautiful scenery, and it's like a building in front of you. It's just kind of discouraging, you know, when you come to the top. Now, that victory is was a little bit disappointing for me on that day, but I will say this, that repeatedly in my life, I've had the joy of coming to the end of a backpack journey 
and marveling at the great power and the awesome majesty of God. There is something amazing about coming to the the peak of a mountain and looking out and being reminded that the God we serve is truly an amazing God worthy of praise and honor and worship. It really does something when the effort that's been expended, you come to the conclusion you're able to enjoy it. And you know, I feel like we're there this evening. I feel like we're at the top of the mountain and we're, we're ready to look out. And unlike Mount Washington in, in uh, New Hampshire, tonight we're going to be able to just enjoy looking at the beauty and grandeur of God and being reminded that we serve a great God. Now, i got to admit, it's been kind of a grueling hike. The hike started <laughs> 18 and a half years ago. Not really, though. The hike started mid-November. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, we have been in the, the praise psalms, right? Hallelujah. There you go. Praise ye the Lord. That's right. Been in the hallelujah psalms, the last five uh, at the beginning, we see the words, praise ye the Lord. At the end, we see the words, praise ye the Lord. One word in the Hebrew, hallelujah. And it is a time of rejoicing. And we've been on this trek, if you would, this grueling hike since the second week in November, uh, challenging us over and over to praise the Lord. Now, our hike has uh, included many aspects of praise and given so many truths that honestly it seems like there could be nothing else to say, but there's still something else to be said. In fact, quite honestly, if we wanted to, to uh, be completely honest about the matter, there's always something to talk about when it comes to the matter of praise. Because our God is beyond description. He is uh, far greater than we could ever imagine. I really believed, honestly, I'm telling you this, I know you don't believe it, but I honestly believe that tonight we'd look at these six simple verses and we would begin our descent down the mountain. We'd be done. But then I came to the pinnacle in this last psalm, and there's something glorious to take in. The panorama before us in Psalm 150 stirs the emotions as we arrive at the peak of praising the Lord and we come to this psalm that tells us, Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, please open our hearts and our minds to these very simple verses and yet very profound verses that remind us once again, now that we're at the top of the mountain peak, the last Psalm of five that remind us to praise the Lord. Father, help us tonight to be stirred to give you the praise that is due your name. Challenge us once again with that truth. May our hearts be encouraged. May our minds be sharpened. This matter of praising God as he ought. And I'll thank you for what you'll do and how you'll help. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you grab one of the outlines this evening, I want to start with a very simple, uh, well, there's just one word for each point, all right? But the praise, I want you to see the praise. Do you remember when we came to Psalm 148, how we opened the song? Say, Pastor, Psalm 148, two psalms ago, was like three months. No, it wasn't that long ago. In Psalm 148, we looked at the subject of praise once again. But we began that psalm with a very uh, important statement and an interesting, uh, an interesting statement. Uh, here's how we began. All right, I'll, I'll kind of jog your memory, hopefully. Imagine with me for a moment you have arrived at work and your boss has sent you and all employees an urgent memo. And the memo consists of nine sentences. You remember that? No, I don't. Okay, you slept since then. I understand. Nine sentences. In those nine sentences, he can, it contains information about what needs to be accomplished that day when everyone arrives without fail. Twelve times in those nine sentences, the note that your boss has written specifically states the objective for the day is one thing. Would you consider that objective to be vitally important? Now, your answer to that very well might have meant whether or not you keep your job or not. Am I right? Because it would be clear, would it not, if a guy took nine sentences and told you 12 times the same thing, you'd see the importance of it. Would you believe that the goal he gave would be worth making sacrifices to accomplish? And, and I said this, if not, you need a new job. Um, now, David wrote a song that consisted of nine sentences in Psalm 148, and in those nine sentences, he stated that the responsibility of God's employees, using that illustration, if you remember, that we need to do something today, tomorrow, and every day, 12 different times he stated the objective. What was the objective? <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. That was the objective. That was the point, to praise the Lord. And we made the observation that it was powerful because the call to praise found at the beginning and end of, the, of all five psalms at the end of this uh, book um, is, is mentioned powerfully in Psalm 148. But today, we come to the top of the mountain. And guess what? There are eight sentences in Psalm 150. And in those eight sentences, 13 times we're told to praise the Lord. In only six verses, rather than taking 14 whole verses to say it, God tells us to do the same thing. Now, if you can't get the point in Psalm 150, you never will. Psalm 148 reminded us powerfully. You know, the call to praise was found a modest four times in Psalm 146, three times in Psalm 147, a massive 12 times in Psalm 148, a measly three times in Psalm 149. But in the six verses before us, 13 times we're told, praise, 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 praise. And that is indeed what God expects. That is the pinnacle. I mean, honestly, there's no better way to express it than in six verses to say 13 times, you need to be involved in this matter of praise. So as we look out at the scene before us this evening, if you, if you can't see points of praise all around the scenery, uh, my, you've missed, 
you've missed the entire message of the psalm. Because there isn't a verse where you don't find the word praise. Not a one. In fact, every verse starts with praise, except the last verse. But he makes up for it by mentioning it two times anyway in the last verse. So this subject of praise is, is what we're here to look at. It's what we're here. We're at the mountain peak to view, to consider, to think about. Sing praise to God who reigns above, the God of all creation, the God of power, the God of love, the God of our salvation. The hymn writer had it so well when he said those words. Can you see the glorious sight before you? It's like razor clear, isn't it? Praise ye the Lord. Um, if you haven't come to the conclusion that God is worthy of praise, then the mountaintop should arouse your slumber and wake you up. Um, so may we learn to do this. The praise is mentioned 13 times. The person, we're to praise. I know we have heard this over and over and over because all the psalms keep talking about the person to be praised. Praise ye the Lord, who is Jah, uh, a shortened version for Jehovah, the name that God chose to be known to his children, the children of Israel by, the name so revered by Israelites that um, they, wouldn't even, they wouldn't even say it without pausing. They would be very careful about ever using that name, Jehovah. In fact, um, it was very precious to them. What does the name Jehovah stand for? What does it mean? We're at the pinnacle. we got to consider it because he says, praise the Lord numerous times. The self-existent one. The one who needs nothing. The eternal. Put it this way. The eternal self-existent God is to be praised. The person that we're talking about here. The eternal one. The self-existent one. He, he doesn't need anyone or anything to keep him in existence. You need God. You, you, you realize you wouldn't exist if it weren't for God. And we're not just talking about the fact that he made you in the womb and fashioned you according to more books. Remember we mentioned that just a week or two ago on Sunday as we looked at Revelation chapter 20 whose names are found written in the book of life and other books that are talked about. God has an amazing record-keeping uh, 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 order. And according to the Bible, Psalm 139, our, our, our bodies, our design is written in a book, and God designs man according to that plan. What an amazing book, you know? And uh, everything is fashioned according to that plan. And that eternal self-existent God who, who formed you, he didn't just, isn't just involved in forming you, he's involved in giving you life. We all have our breath. Every breath we take is an amazing gift from an almighty, eternal, self-existent God. But God needs none of that. He doesn't need someone to give him breath. He doesn't need someone to design him in the womb. He doesn't need someone to meet his needs and provide for him as God does for us on a regular basis. He doesn't need someone to give him money because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need someone to provide something for him because if God needed something, he could make it himself. 
Look, he is the eternal, self-existent one. And when that name Jehovah is used, when at the end of hallelujah, Yah, that, that name is added, uh, we are being reminded every time that this God is worthy of praise just because of who he is. He always has been, he always will be, and he needs no one to keep him alive or meet needs. He is the God of all. He is the eternal, self-existent one. But what is interesting in Psalm 150 is that uh, it seems like a couple of the other ones, we've just seen the fact that it just talked about praising the Lord. But notice what he says in verse 1, praise ye the Lord, and then immediately he gives us another title, another name for the one we're praising. And that name is God. You say, well, all right, that's wonderful. This is the word L. By the way, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it would be Elohim, uh, indicating the plurality of God. But the term L, in reference to God, is talking about the fact that he's the supreme God. So he's not just the eternal God. He's not just the self-existent God. But he is the supreme God, the God of all gods. There is no other God. There's none that compare to him, none close to him, none rival with him. He is the supreme God of all. He's the supreme ruler of all, which would also be kind of implicated in this idea of El and this title given to God. Uh, one of the many names throughout Scripture uh, that describe our God and he is worthy of being praised because he's the supreme God, not just the eternal God, the self-existent God, but the supreme God is to be praised. Now, there's not another type for God in this verse, but it says, praise ye the Lord, praise God, where? In his sanctuary. And we're going to get to, and we'll mention something about the place in the next point. The next point is the place, by the way which you're writing in now and you're going to miss this, a holy God or the holy God is to be praised. The term used in reference to a place, uh, the sanctuary, that, that term used there, it means a place set apart or a place that's holy. Uh, do you remember that when they set up the tabernacle originally, do you also remember that when the temple was built, there was a special room? a room that no one was to enter except a high priest once a year. And it was called the Holy of Holies. It was the place where Israel, all Israel, I should say, was the place where God dwelt between the cherubim, the mercy seat. And that was God's dwelling place. Um, the picture God gives us here and the picture that the author has is, uh, look, he says, praise Jehovah, self-existent one, praise the supreme God, praise the, the holy God. God is a holy God. That day needs to be ampled in Christianity in so many ways. Um, it, it seems like God has become... God has become the good buddy of everyone rather than the holy God he is. And I'm telling you something, that's affecting praise. 
It's affecting praise in a lot of places. Praise in a lot of places is nothing, nothing more than entertainment. And that's not the way it should be. Because we serve not only an amazing God, but we also serve a very holy God, one that is set apart completely from sin. And so when we come to praise, we all remember that. We serve an eternal self-existent God. We serve a supreme God, but we also serve a holy God. And he is to be praised as such. I mentioned the fact that in a lot of ways we're entertaining people today rather than exalting our Savior. You know, there was an article written, this is a number of years ago, back in the 90s. Yeah, yeah 1990s. You don't remember those days. Anyway, this is back in the 90s about the length some churches are going to keep crowds coming. In the Wall Street Journal in May of 1991 that reported one of America's largest evangelical churches had a wrestling match between church employees and one of their Sunday services. And they went so far as to train for the event. Ten employees got lessons from Taylor, a professional wrestler, how to pull hair, kick shins, toss bodies without doing harm. No physical harm to the staff members took place. But what's the spiritual effect on a church in such an exhibition? There seems to be no limit to what some churches will do to keep their people entertained. Another Wall Street Journal article profiled a large evangelical church in the Southwest that took entertainment to an extreme. This church, get this, sent staff members to study live special effects at Bally's Casino in Las Vegas. And after they did, they came back and they installed a half-million-dollar special effects system in the main auditorium so they could produce smoke, fire, sparks, laser lights to accent the key points in the pastor's messages. I like that idea. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Fireworks there and there. and Man, what could we do when we talk about God being the, the supreme God of all? And then... Fireworks, you know. Well, anyway, that's what they did. The article described how the pastor ended one service by ascending to heaven via invisible wires. It drew him out of sight while the choir and orchestra added musical accompaniment to the smoke, fire, and light show. That was a typical show for that pastor. The article said he packs his church with such special effects as cranking up a chainsaw and toppling a tree to make a point. That would also be fun. Uh, the biggest 4th of July fireworks display in town, a Christmas service with rented elephants, kangaroos, and zebras. The Christmas show features 100 clowns with gifts for the congregation's children. Um, it draws crowds, but at what price, someone wrote? Are we entertaining or exalting? They say, well, well, why did you even take time to share something like that? Because, because when we come to Psalm 150, do you realize that just as Psalm 149, many evangelicals want to use this to support their antics? Because it talks about the timbrel and dance. To give them the freedom to do whatever they want to do, to draw crowds, because in drawing crowds they have an opportunity to present Christ but people are forgetting that Psalm 150 also reminds us that we serve a holy God. And that God is not exalted 
by people being entertained. He's exalted when his holiness is lifted up. And when we never forget that it's a holy God that we serve. Are we entertaining or exalting? This song reminds us the who of what worship is supposed to be all about. It's not about entertaining people. It's not about having a lot of fun and having a good feeling. It's about praising the God who's in his sanctuary, who's in his holy place, who is worthy of praise. We're told the places as well in verse 1, the places were to praise God in the sanctuary or in his sanctuary. One author described it this way. He said, praise should begin at home. I like the way he said it. The home referred to would be God's dwelling place, not, not ours. God's dwelling place. You say, well, wait a second. We're talking about Israel here. We're talking about the temple. I know that. But, you know, the New Testament does tell us where two or three are gathered together that God is in the midst. And there is a sense in which God does meet with his people when they gather together and when his word is preached and when he is lifted up and exalted. And so one of the places you and I ought to praise God is in the sanctuary, that we come to meet with God's people. And when we come to meet with God's people, that we ought to be involved in praise and never forget that. And the part of the, the praise is the way you sing. That's it. That's a lot of the part that you have in praising God. You can praise him at heart, in mind, listening to his word and allowing it to saturate and change your life. Yes, but you also praise God in your singing. So has the holy God been reminded how much you love him tonight by how you sang? Challenging? We ought to praise him in the sanctuary, the places. And then we're to praise him where else? In the firmament of of his power. What is that? I put the, in the firmament of his, got to stay with alliteration, strength. In the sanctuary, in the firmament of his strength. And by the way, that is the definition of the word power there. What does it mean in the firmament of his strength then? It doesn't answer it all that well, right? Uh, here's the point. It, this is really, it's very simple, but it, it's... Um, it's also pretty amazing. All right, so we're praised in the sanctuary, and we get this idea of a place, a specific place, God is to be praised. And that's when we gather together because he's in the midst. And we are to praise him when we do that. But we're also to praise him wherever his power is known. It's the idea, the ferment of his power. So in, in the skies, the heavens, and wherever God's power is seen, wherever God's power is known, wherever God's power is experienced, God should be praised. So where is that? When you leave this building. Anywhere you go. On a mountain peak? Sure. In the lowest valley? Sure. In the depths of the ocean? Mm-hmm. If you, can, you could go to outer space, there's room anywhere to give God praise because the firmament of his power is everywhere. God's power is evidenced everywhere in this universe. There's not a place where his power is not known. 
because it wouldn't exist if it weren't for God. And so the places, I, I love this, he says specifically at home and with God's people in God's house as we meet with him in a very special way. But quite honestly, everywhere we go, we should be involved in praise because his power is known everywhere. And that makes it kind of simple, doesn't it? You're not just to praise him in song here, but it wouldn't hurt for you to praise him in song while you're driving to work. It wouldn't hurt for you to praise him even if you don't sing out loud at work, at your job. Wouldn't hurt for you to praise him at home. Because those are all places where his power is being evidenced and seen. Wouldn't hurt for you to to praise him when you see a beautiful sunset or, or a gorgeous sunrise, as I saw the other day. Wouldn't hurt to praise him when you're reminded that it doesn't always rain like this. And when you're reminded that God can sure make some gully washers, can't he? Wow, haven't used that word in a long time. But everywhere we look, the power of God is seen. Whether it's in a, a overflowing river <laughs> that makes it a long trip in the church, or whether it's a nice flowing brook and stream that we pass by as we're driving down the road, and we're reminded we serve an amazing God. The firmament's power is a good place to praise God. So, praise ye the Lord. Amen. Father, I, I ask you to help us to be people who praise. And I thank you for the